The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Let's jump into the Word today. Uh, We're talking about sola scriptura. The Scripture is the infallible Word of God. It gives us all that we need um, in order to know what it means to, to be saved and how to glorify God. So we got all that we need in Scripture to teach us that. No more, no less. Um, it's, a, it's, like it's an essential uh, of the historic Christian faith to believe in the solo Scriptura. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. It is all uh, that we need in order to, to know who God is and to be able to follow Him. And so I've, I've taught you each week, just by way of review, three options when it comes to the Bible and how you view it. It is either you view it as the Word of God given to us, or it is the Word of man, or it is a combination of the Word of God and the Word of man. So the Word of God would be that God used men um, and preserved through the power of inspiration and Him controlling as men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God preserved what He wanted preserved so that we could know Him. That's our, our position as a church. That's the historic um, evangelical position since the early church. So for thousands of years, that's what the church has embraced. And then there is um, an atheistic view, which would be, no, it's just a word of man. Those are just things that men wrote. How could you trust that? They were men. And there are some people who believe that. And then there are people who believe it's a combination of both. It's men who were writing about God, and some things are the uh, Word of God, and we have to sort of use scholarship and study and figure out which parts are the Word of God and which parts are not. And that's the dangerous one because that elevates the scholar into a position above God and things change and a lot of times culture can influence that. And so it's a very dangerous place to, to fall in that third category. At least in the second category, you're just denying it's the Word of God altogether and so we know there, where you stand and you know where you stand. And this, this third category is a very confusing one. And so we've looked at the evidence, a lot of evidence to support that the Bible is the Word of God. I've talked to you about how did we get the Bible? How did it come to being? And showed you how the church throughout um, time recognized it and we could see that the Lord was moving in it. We talked about how the Bible, God uses the Bible as both general revelation we have from nature speaking to us about God, but then we have specific revelation, which is the historical record and the written word of God itself, that God specifically reveals himself to humanity through the Bible. And so we, we talked about how God does that. We talked about um, what Jesus thought about the Bible. Like Jesus looks at the word, um, the Old Testament law and the prophets, and he elevates it, has an extremely high view of scripture. He chose 12 apostles, then and he prophesied that they would carry on and write the New Testament. And so Jesus even foresaw the writing of the New Testament, and the apostles were able to do miraculous stuff, and that's what authenticates that we can trust the Word of God. No more than that, no less. Okay, so when we go, well, what about, why? how can we be so uh, bold and brazen to say that we have the right way and the Mormon faith doesn't? The Mormon faith is adding more. No more, no less. The Mormon faith, it says that it's Jesus plus Joseph Smith's revelation. And we know from Scripture that God's not doing that because He's preserved and told us. 
And so we could look at a lot of different phases and we could say, all right, what are they taking away or what are they adding? And if they're taking away or adding, and generally we could say um, that is something that would be cultic because they're adding to what God has revealed. And so we have to be aware of that. Um, and that's why um, we would take that position is because we don't believe you can add to or take away <clears throat> from the Word of God. And so the ev evidence has um, demonstrated that our faith is re reasonable. And so I've taken time over the last uh, four weeks leading up to today to establish that our faith is a reasonable faith. Um, it's not, it's not, uh, it's an intellectual thing, okay? So a lot of times people want to frame Christians and say, well, you know, that's, that's just for people who can't think. Not true. Like Christian people think. It is an intellectual uh, belief that we have. However, it is still faith. Okay? There is still a faith element to it. But there's a faith element to everything. Okay? If you want to be an atheist, it requires a certain amount of faith to be an atheist. Um, if you, whatever you believe requires faith because we don't know every single thing for certain. And so we have to have faith. And what we do in Christianity is we place our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we believe in His Word and all that He has re revealed. And so the objective of this series has been to build your confidence. That's what I've tried to do over the last several weeks, um, so that Jesus becomes Lord of your life. And so Jesus is not just somebody you sing about. Jesus is not just somebody that you um, look to for salvation that He is Lord and Savior. He becomes the Lord of your life, and you yield everything to Him. And so uh, when that happens, as He becomes Lord of your life, and you recognize His Lordship, you will embrace transformation. You will go through a process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. Sanctification is a theological term that basically means spiritual growth. That as each day passes, as each... A um, week passes each month, each year. You're changing. You're going through a process of becoming more and more like Christ. And that's, that's the objective, is that you're born again as an infant, and you start a journey, and you, throughout your time on this planet, you become a spiritual adult that is used to go forth and make disciples, which is the mission that Jesus called us uh, to in the book of Matthew and all of the Gospels. And so today, what I want to do is we talk about that transformation because ultimately, that is about freedom. Like That's about coming to a place in your life where you're living in a way that is free. You're experiencing life um, in, in an abundant way that has incredible meaning, and it, it just shifts from the way the world is. And, and the world, frankly, um, is upside down. <laughs> Man, it is, it is upside down. I've, I've, I've felt that way a lot my whole life, um, but never more so than now. <laughs> like the world feels so fragile. Um, our country feels fragile. And so as we look at um, the Scripture today, uh, I want to look at how it transforms. Okay, so what, what we're going to do um, is we're going to go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And... And, and Timothy is an, is, is an interesting epistle, a letter to the church. Because Paul is, he's nearing the end. He's about to be executed for his faith. 
He has poured his life into many people. He has been part of starting a lot of different churches. And so Timothy is a guy that he has raised up and discipled in the Lord that came to the faith. He comes from a family of believers, and Paul has really poured into him. And so Paul, as he writes this letter to Timothy, it sort of serves as a guide as to how the church is to function and how a minister is to function inside of a church. And, and so in chapter 3, Paul begins to describe how things will be in the last days. And so as, as, we, as we unpack this, this is important to note. He's writing about how things will be in the church. Okay? And so as I read this passage from 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want you to think about um, the, the context of the church, what's happening and, and when I say the church, I don't mean just our church. I'm talking about the church, and, and even more so something that we can relate to is the church in America. We have a good understanding of what church is like in America, what's going on uh, in, in the church universal. And so as, as Paul writes this, um, he, he says to Timothy, but mark this, mark this, he says, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, there have been terrible times throughout history. Uh, but So we could say, man, there, there are terrible times in every age of history. Like, World War II was a terrible time, right? There, there are different times we could look at and go terrible times. But when this, this term is used, last days, it carries the idea in Scripture of, of prior to the coming of Christ. Jesus talked about His second coming in Matthew chapter 24. They asked, like, well, how will we know when these things will happen? And Jesus begins to talk about how, how things will shift and get really bad during the last days before his return to the planet. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back like this year, but he might. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, no man knows when the Lord will return. That is up to the Father himself. But we do know that we are to like pay attention to what's going on around us. We do know that Jesus said, read the signs. Here's some of the things that you can expect. Be alert. Be aware of what's going on around you. And so I don't say that um, to, I don't say that to sort of sensationalize things and try to scare you and go, man, well, Jesus may be coming back. So you ought to give your life to him. You ought to give your life to Jesus because he is God. That is enough. But he is coming back. And I do believe he is coming back. And, and I have, uh, you know, I've always felt that my entire life. Like, especially when I got serious about my commitment to the Lord and realized how far away I was from Him and what did I really believe and started nailing that down. I started to look around at culture and think, oh man, things are, things are bad. Jesus must be coming back. And I sort of learned, okay, as I, as I matured, as I learned and increased even in my own knowledge through study, okay, there have been a lot of bad periods throughout history. And, and so I, I realized that was probably just something that I was feeling at that time because of my own transformation. Well, that was 27 years ago. <laughs> I keep saying, man, I've been preaching for 20 years, and I, I did the math, and it's 27 years, so soon I'll have to say 30. I don't really like that. Uh, <laughs> And so I, I, I want to say this to you. Again, this is not to sensationalize. This is just to be your pastor and tell you what's going on in my heart. Like, I think about it a lot, about the return of Christ. 
I, I think about, man, like right now, even as I'm trying to work through things in, in my life and trying to recognize what is my responsibility as a, as a minister of the Word of God in my generation. This is a thought that I feel the Lord is impressing upon me about His return. And so I look at it and I, and I think about the times. So when we, t- we think about the last days, I don't know we could be living in them. <laughs> like Jesus literally like could return. I don't think that, that, that we could look around at culture and say, um, has there ever been a time like this in history? And there hasn't. Like it just, like if you look around, just things are... The increase in knowledge, which was something that was prophesied. The ability to travel was something that was prophesied. That's all happened in the last hundred years. Like, just exploded. And, and technology right now, just, man, it just runs, like, so fast. The things that we can do with a little bitty device in our pockets is absolutely amazing. And, so the, and the gospel is spreading. Like, it's being proclaimed all over the world, which, again, is something that is prophesied that will happen before the return of Christ. And so I look at all that and go, man, like, are we? I think it's something that we should pay attention to. Why? Because we should always be, we should all be prepared. Um, and so as he says this, man, I want you to think about, listen to what is described by the Apostle Paul for Timothy, this young pastor, in the last days. In the church, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Man, there's a description of of people today. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he says to us, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, just swayed by evil desires. Always learning. Boy, this, this one just nails it. Always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just learning. And, men, and people are smart. But when it comes to acknowledging the truth, aletheia is the Greek word. Jesus talked about it. He is the truth. Never being able to acknowledge that. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. It's just like, geez, man. Paul, can you hang on for a few more years? (laughs) You know, may have been what Timothy was thinking. Like, you're leaving me with all of this. You're saying these are the things that are going to happen, the kind of stuff that I'm going to deal with. And maybe Timothy, as he's reading it, going, how am I going to do this? Well, that's the good news. This is Paul tells him, how are you to deal with things, even inside the church, when they get this far out of control and, and things spin this far away from the truth? He tells him, 
You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have believed or become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy, watch this, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. He's basically saying, man, your mom and your grandma, they, they, I think their names were Lois and Eunice, man, they brought you up under the Word. Okay? The greatest thing you could do for your kids and your grandkids is just expose them to the Scriptures, man. Just keep laying the Holy Scriptures in front of them. He says, you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here it is. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how do we deal with all of the, the mess? How do you deal with all of that stuff, Timothy, as people are going through depravity, as they love pleasure more than they love um, God, as they are, are deceived and being deceived, as they're not able to acknowledge the truth? How do you deal with all of that? He says, the Scripture is how you do it. And, and so as we, as we like unpack that and think about what is Paul saying, um, he tells Timothy that these bad things will get worse in the last days. And then he tells Timothy how to deal with it. And that's our focus today. And so we have um, Scripture's final four. And that's not a typo in your bulletin, okay? Intentionally just spelling it F-O-R. What are these four? What is Scripture for? Like we know, I've established that, that it's specific revelation for us that it tells us about what God is like. But as we look at this and, and see in this context, he tells him how to deal with it. He says, all Scripture comes from God. And, and that's what makes it different than from a how-to manual. Like you could go to the bookstore, or you could get on Amazon, and you could find you a book, How to Be a Better Parent. Um, you could find you a book, How to Manage Your Finances. Um, how to Build Your Business, Okay. And, and there's great information. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But it will only tell you how to improve and how to, or how to learn some knowledge that will help you along the way. What is different about Scripture is, is that it comes from God. All Scripture is from God. It doesn't come from man. It comes from God. And so as we look at it, what are the four things that Paul is telling Timothy that Scripture is for and how you should view your Bible? Because it is very important that we don't start to worship the Bible. We worship the one the Bible talks about. But we have a high view of the Bible. And so as we have this high view of the Bible, and, and, and Jimmy is always challenging and teaching us, like I'm, I, me, you, you feel that way. I'm challenging you and teaching you to be in the Word, which is exactly what I'm going to do again today, and I won't quit doing it 
until I'm gone, is that what is it for? What does it do? Well, first of all, we see that Scripture is for teaching. Okay? Spiritual growth comes from things we are taught from Scripture. So as we approach the Scripture, um, we, we have to understand, like, like, Scripture will motivate. It will comfort. It will encourage. And so you could take Scripture, man, and, and I would say, man, today I want to help you guys out, and I want you to know from Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Yeah, man. Okay? <laughs> but if I really taught the Scripture, I would tell you that Paul is teaching you that in the sense of suffering. That in the midst of the baddest things get, like our brother Bob who passed away had suffered the month of March, and now he is gone. The Lord would say to him, you can do all things. So the teaching would be in the context of suffering. Um, and I don't think it's wrong for us to look and go, man, I can do all things through Christ. He's, he's motivating me that way. He's, he's encouraging me. And so we want to use the Scripture and look at it and go, yes, the, the Scripture is motivating. It's encouraging. Um, it's comforting. There are things, um, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And that's good. Like, it's encouraging. It, it's motivating. It's comforting. But above all of that, Scripture is designed to teach us. And when we go back to the context of chapter 3, and he says, what about these people inside the church? What is wrong? They will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Uh, they will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. So what does that mean? It means that if we are, are, are not careful with how we handle the word of God, the, the word itself teaches us, don't handle it Handle it craftily. Be careful with the Word of God. And so we can begin to change it. We can begin to say, well, things mean something different to make it fit within the context and the, that we, of our culture and the way that we want. And so we, or we can ignore certain parts of it and, and, and only teach the motivating and encouraging things. And so that you come to church and you just feel great all the time and you can reach people and have a form of godliness. And Joel Osteen will show you that. I make no bones about like pointing him out. Like the guy is confusing people because he won't teach the whole counsel of the word of God. Only the stuff that makes you feel good. But as we're going to see from scripture in the last days, we have to understand that scripture is designed to teach us. And what does it teach us? Well, it teaches us about God. It teaches us what God is like. And so as we look at the, the word, we see that Scripture teaches us what God is like. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So when we begin to have a fear and a reverence of the Lord Himself, and we have knowledge about who He is, we begin to have a, an understanding about the meaning of life. That's why, as we're in the Word, it can take us through a process of transformation because we begin to understand things about God that we did not understand before. And so it teaches us what God is like. And so um, here's the thing. God is not someone we can create in our own image. We are created in the image of God. 
God is who God is. And it doesn't matter what is going on in culture, we cannot describe God a different way than what he has described himself. And that is why it is so important for us to establish in a reasonable, logical way that we can trust the Bible and give the evidence and support for it as a historical document, not something mythological. That is why it was so important for Jesus to, who really did live, a real man, like, he's real. And sometimes, oh, the mythology. You can't say that somebody who is real is a myth. There is a historical record that he existed. And this historical record teaches us that he chose 12 men, men and he authenticated the gospel that they would write by enabling them to have supernatural power so that he could preserve in the Scripture who God is. And so you say, wow, what about all of these other religions? Lay them up against the word, bro. They won't stand. As you, as you compare and investigate and you really drill down the evidence, you will see that all of the other religions of the world have holes in them and leak, and the Bible holds it together. Because it is a supernatural book. It is not a book that was written by man. It is a book that was preserved by God. He used men to write it, but it is the word of God. And, and it has, like, it is, it is a beautiful thing, okay, that the Lord has done. And so why has he done it? Because he wants us to learn and understand about who he is. And so what does the word teach us? Well, early on, the word teaches us that God is sovereign. What does that mean? It means he is over everything. Every country, every nation, every tribe, every language, every human being, every animal, every fish of the sea and bird of the air, all God is sovereign over all of it. It is his, which means that if I truly understand the knowledge of God, I am his. Even people who do not know him, are his. They are just not right with him. Even the devil himself is his. And so the Bible teaches us about the sovereignty of God. It also teaches us about God's holiness, that there is nothing wrong with God whatsoever. Like he has never done anything wrong. And even in the incarnation of Christ, Christ never did anything wrong. He is holy. He is perfect. And then it teaches us that he is omniscient. What does that mean? It means that he knows everything about everything and everyone. He has perfect knowledge. And another thing that it teaches, and I won't continue to go on, this will be the last one, is that he is immutable. What does that mean? He never changes. So he is the same God, even though people say we should change the word and that it doesn't fit the culture today. He's the same God that fit the culture a long time ago, so it will fit today. He never changes. He is immutable. And because of these things that we learn about God in the Bible that serves a specific revelation to teach us who he is, and we learn this sovereignty and this holiness and this omniscience, we hate him because he is immutable. If you do not know him, you will come to hate him. Why? Because you want to be sovereign. 
you realize you are not holy. And you don't like the fact that God knows everything about you. You don't like it. So you hate him. Just think about this. <laughs> There's something wired deep inside of us that will show us our fallen nature. It comes straight from Adam and Eve. They used to walk with God in the cool of the day, but after they rebelled, what happened? They hid. They wanted their privacy. Now, we could go into a museum, I could go into a museum, and I could stand before a painting, and I could do this for an hour. And people would look at me and say, man, he is really captivated by that painting. And I could go to Starbucks, and I could look at someone sitting across the way for 10 seconds. And they look at me, and they look away. And they look back to see if I'm looking, and I'm still staring at them, and they look away again. And then they start to get fidgety again, and they look again, and I'm still staring at them. And before long, they're probably going to get up and say, what are you staring at, man? Why? Why would a person do that? Because we all know there are things about ourselves that we want private. There are things inside of us that we don't want anybody else. Like, you're driving down the road, man, and you look over. It happened to me the other day, and, and I looked over at a person, and, and I was looking at them. They looked at me, and I So, so there's, there's a sense of privacy that we think, it's not appropriate for you to do that. But God is always doing it to us. And if we don't know him, we don't like it. And so we begin to hate him for it. And then finally, we hate him because he won't change any of these things. And so we are in rebellion against him. In, and, and, and so it teaches us that, man, that's where we're at. We're hiding from God. And we're in rebellion against him. But it also teaches us that we need him, and I'm thankful for that. And so scripture teaches us that we need God, that we are not like God, but that we need God. And then it teaches us about Jesus, who is our hope and solution. And so as we study the scriptures, it is designed to teach us, and, and, and it does more than that. So watch how it teaches. Watch what the word is saying, that when things are really bad, and, and, and Paul is giving Timothy, some instruction on how you are to deal with these things and work through them. He says, Scripture is for rebuking. Now, what does rebuking mean? It means to reprove, expose, or convict. So Scripture calls our attention to the wrong things in our lives. So as we read the Scriptures, it begins to serve as a mirror, and it exposes me to myself as I learn about God. So I'm reading the word and I see, I hold it up and I see God in the word and then I see it reflecting back to me and it teaches me about myself. And that does not sound like a pleasurable experience because what it starts to do is go boop, boop, boop. We got this thing with Caitlin. Man, Caitlin is, she, she's got the gift of speaking and she, and she talks and, and she likes to say um and like a lot. And, but she's a gifted speaker, but she will say, um, and like, so we're trying to work her through it. And, and so what we do as a family, when she's telling one of her stories, every time she says like or um, we go, ding, ding. And so she'll, and she'll begin to, and she, she's, she's learning how to not say those things. This is a scripture, man. When you read it, it's like, ding, ding, ding. You're like, man, I don't know about that. That's one of the reasons it's hard for you to um, read is because it's dinging you all the time. But guess what? It's not only rebuking, 
It is correcting. And if I'm going to have to be corrected and rebuked, I would rather it be Scripture than Abby. Amen? And so what does correcting mean? It means improvement, setting the wrong things right. And so as I read Scripture and it shows me and exposes the things in my life, um, it, it not only exposes them, it begins to help me correct them. It doesn't just leave you there in your wrong and shame. Now here, watch this. Watch this all come together. God already knows what is wrong with you because he's omniscient. That's what we learn from the Scripture. But Scripture helps me know what God knows and how to correct it. So as I look at Scripture, I see that the Lord is the ultimate source of freedom. And if I can see what he can see about me, I can walk in his freedom instead of living as a slave to sin. That is the power of Scripture. Look at John chapter 8, verse 31 through 32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. These were the people who believed him. He said this. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Galatians chapter 5, 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so we cannot receive this type of development from self-help books. You can read self-help books till you're blue in the face and you will never be able to achieve the kind of improvement that scripture will bring to you we can't even receive it from each other why because we are all sinners the people who wrote the self-help book are sinners the people who talk to us about things in life to improve uh, in our own lives are sinners and so what we end up with is all of that stuff is the work of man but as we look at the word it is the work of God and we can receive it from the Bible because it's coming from God. And so scripture helps me to see me. It helps me like God is showing me in my life things that need correcting. And he's wanting me to not feel shame for that. And I will feel shame whether I look at it or not. It begins to oppress me and steal from me. That's why Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I've come to help you in this. And so That brings us to our final thing. Scripture is for training in righteousness. So teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, if I said to you, all of you guys, as a matter of fact, I'm going to say it. Your assignment this week is I want you to go out and be righteous. What are you going to do? How do, you, how do you go out and do that one? Well, this is very important. It's an important concept in the kingdom. Because Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, the Sermon on the Mount. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you don't have it, you're not coming. And so <laughs> the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, man, they were the most religious people. So it's like saying, man, if your righteousness doesn't, um, if it doesn't surpass all of the most spiritual people that you know, the ones you respect, the ones that are esteemed in society, you're not coming into my kingdom. So go get you some righteousness. What is it? What is righteousness? It comes from the Greek word dikaiosene, and it's 
what that is about a person that makes him or her really good. True inner goodness. Remember Jesus said, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out. Because what comes out of your mouth is coming from the heart. And so when you have dikaiosine and you have true inner goodness, everything that begins to come out of you is going to be righteous. Now, how does that happen? Well, it is something imparted to us at salvation. The righteousness of Christ. This is why it's so important that He be sinless and He sacrificed Himself on the cross of Calvary. And so the righteousness of Christ cannot be earned. You cannot go out and be more righteous this week. It is impossible. It is something that is a gift of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so righteousness um, is, is something that is imparted to us. And so when we look at Scripture, we say, well, what is Scripture saying here? Scripture is not for obtaining righteousness. It is for training in righteousness. If you have been born again and you know the Lord, you have become righteousness. The righteousness of Christ has been put in you. And so what happens in training in righteousness, we start walking in the freedom of who we now are by the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus through the shed blood of Him on the cross. This is why it's all so important. And this is why the Old Testament becomes so important in the animal sacrifices. Because they're all pointing prophetically to when Christ, the God-man, God himself would become a human and he would die for our sins so that we could be cleansed and righteousness from God could be imparted to us. And so now as we look at the scriptures and, and what, we're, what, we're, what we're learning, it is training us in righteousness. It is serving as a mirror to show me the wrong things in my life. Why do they become wrong? Because I'm a righteous individual and I'm not acting like what I am. And so the Lord is trying to teach me as one of his children how to act in the world. And as I act like that in the world, then I start to walk in freedom. And so there is power in it. And I begin to experience the fulfillment of uh, the, the freedom that, that even the Apostle Paul talks about. So we start walking in that. Romans chapter 6, verse 18 says, you have been set free from what? From sin. And then he says, um, and have become slaves to righteousness. Like it's so important for you to get this. Because if not, you're just going to be trying to do good stuff to earn the favor of God. You can't earn the favor of God. Like you either are in favor with God or you're not in favor with God. Now, you can walk in the, the, the truth of God and God can pour out blessings upon your life when you're walking in harmony with the truth that he has laid out in Scripture. But you, you can't earn righteousness from God. It's something he just imparts to you. And when that happens, you have a new identity in Christ. And freedom comes when we walk in that identity and bondage comes when we don't. And so to illustrate how the word works, and tell you a funny story about Caitlin. Caitlin, like your sermon topic today, all right? When she was a little bitty girl, running around in diapers, I called her booger. <laughs> and sometimes I still do. And uh, so I had a shop at our house in Oklahoma, and it was about, I don't know, 40, 30 yards from the house. It's back behind the house. Nice big garage. And... Um, 
So I went out there one day. I was, it was a Saturday. I was working on a project. And I opened the door. And when I opened the door, uh, lo and behold, Caitlin was in the back of the shop by herself. And there was white stuff all over her face and all over the floor. And she was just squatted down with that saggy diaper hitting the concrete and having a good time. And so I opened the door and I didn't say anything. I was just looking there and watching her. Like at first I was like, oh my gosh, what has she gotten into? Like this, this could be dangerous. And then I realized what has happened here. And so I don't say anything. I'm watching. And so as I watch for a minute, she's just having a good time. Um, I say, booger. And she goes. <laughs> and I say, what are you doing? And she just kind of, she can't talk. All right. She's not in an laser. She could talk. And she's just mumbling stuff and saying what she's doing and just like, not, you know, like there's no big deal here. There's not a big deal. Flower all over her face, like just, just covered in her face. She had gotten into some camping stuff. We had sold one of our RVs um, and we were getting a new one. And so all the camping stuff, and she just had it scattered everywhere. She'd gotten one of the containers. And so she just looked up at me like there was nothing wrong, nothing at all. Then she gets up and begins to walk around, does a circle. I said, what are you doing, Caitlin? And she looks at me again, and then she looks down, and there's flour everywhere. And she looks back up at me, and she realizes, I have done something that I shouldn't have done. Now, I never said, Caitlin, get out of that. I didn't ever scream at her or anything. Immediately, when she looked down and she evaluated the situation again, it was looking right back at her, and she started to cry. Put her big old lip out, man, stuck it out. <laughs> and, and started, and, I, and so then I picked her up and I said, you should not be out here, da, 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 da. And so that's what the Lord is doing in the Scripture. Like, we're out in the world, we're, we're, we're living our life, we're trying to live like what we are, the people of God. And so as we're in the Scripture, it's, it's like the Lord is not just going, ah! He's just kind of laying it out there and we're discovering these truths and they're beginning to show us the things in our lives that need to be corrected. And as we correct them through the power of the Holy Spirit and the conviction and the Word and the Holy Spirit working together, we step out of the yoke of sin that presses down on us. Why does God want us to walk away from that stuff? Because it is restricting us. So there are things in your life where the Lord is always going to call you to obedience. 27 years I've been teaching the Word, and the Lord is still showing me things that He's calling me to obedience. They're not the same things that they were years ago. And so there are things in your life that the Lord is going to call you to obedience, and your freedom is in stepping into that obedience. And so God's desire is for us to look like Jesus, and it is only possible when we are taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained in righteousness by the Word. That is why discipleship must be rooted in the Word in order for it to work. And so we're, we're, we're walking with people, and we're helping them to discover, man, as God takes them through places in their lives, and we're helping them to learn how to look at the Word and allow it to serve as a mirror. Don't look at everybody else. Don't look at the culture. Don't try to redefine what the Word says, because if you redefine what that Word says, all you're doing is taking another step into deep sin. 
Like you read it and accept it and see it and apply it. And as you walk into it, man, the freedom will come into your life because you are being obedient to what? Truth. And it will set you free. Or you can know the truth and walk in a lie. But Jesus said that the devil is the father of all lies. And so as our lives are looked at, what we want people to see is Jesus. And the only way for them to see Jesus is if we truly are righteous and we're trained in that righteousness, that dichiosene, what it is about us that truly makes us good. So the big idea of today's talk is get down in there. Get down in there, man. This thing will change you. This, this is truth. And so you get in there, man, and the Lord will like, He will get a hold of you. He will shake you up about some things. But the reason He's doing it is for your freedom to be set free in Christ and for you to become a force on the planet. And you see, there's to be power running through your life. Everything apart from the Word is a waste of time. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.